Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Dave. When I'm called David, it either means you don't know me or I'm in trouble. <laughs> so uh, that's fine. Uh, it's great to be here uh, this morning. Uh, Pastor Paul and I have been friends uh, since seminary. Um, we've kept in touch through the years, and just uh, I really deeply appreciate him and Renee and uh, their friendship, their prayers. Uh, we go talk to each other when there's just times that uh, you need to kind of just have that friend. And as you know them, they're wonderful listeners, um, faithful prayers, and just uh, great people, and uh, appreciate this chance to step in and uh, help out at this time. So, Our psalm today uh, is Psalm 44. Now, you've been learning Psalm 103. That's, that's awesome. That's great. Some of you may know Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. Maybe some of you have some other favorite psalms. How many of you, your favorite psalm in the Bible is Psalm 44? My, it's not mine either. <laughs> okay. In fact, Psalm 44 is rather unfamiliar to most people. Because it's not one of those pick-me-up psalms. It's not one of those, oh, yes, that's great, that's awesome, that, that just really gives me a lift kind of a psalm. Psalm 44 is actually kind of like, huh, wow. That just, it, it can kind of left you feel hanging at times. But yet it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, then God intended it to be there for his people. Now, it's not necessarily the psalm for every occasion, but it is a psalm for those occasions when you're crying out for help. When stuff is going on in life that just threatens to bring you down. It's a psalm of lament, of just calling out, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. God, where are you? In the midst of all of this, have you ever felt that way? Problems just seem to be growing. Something that you just can't seem to solve. A diagnosis that just kind of cuts the legs out from underneath you. It's in those times that we need a psalm like Psalm 44. And so as Pastor Paul and I were uh, together having coffee a couple of weeks ago and he asked me about preaching for today, I said, you know what? What kinds of things do you think, you know, your church would benefit from? And uh, I told him, you know, a variety of psalms that are, or passages that I've preached lately. And then I hit on Psalm 44. I said, now this one's a little different. And explained to him a little bit about what the psalm is about. And he goes, that's a good one. Let's do that one. So we have Psalm 44 today. And the wind has already blown me to Psalm 50. So... We'll try to stay on 44. <clears throat> the psalm is uh, divided into three sections. Uh, verses 1 through 8 is the first section. I title that the good old days. The good old days. And then the second section is the longer section, verses 9 through 22. I titled that, What Happened? What Happened? And there's really two parts to that section. We'll cover that as we go. And then the final section, verses uh, 23 through 26, I've titled, Wake Up and Do Something. 
wake up and do something. And then I have a fourth section that moves beyond this psalm, moves us into the New Testament, and I think will help us to put everything, Lord willing, into perspective and give us a place to go, a place of strength to move on from. So, the good old days, verses 1 through 8, what happened, verses 9 through 22, and then wake up and do something, verses 23 through 26. I'm going to read um, each of those sections as we come to it. So I know one of your practices is to stand in the presence of God and in his word, which I deeply appreciate. But just for the practicality of that, I'm going to be hitting different sections through the sermon. We'll have you honor God as you are throughout the whole message uh, and his word. So would you join me in a prayer, first of all? Lord God, we turn our attention to a psalm that we don't often turn to, yet there are times in life in which we deeply need it. And so we thank you for Psalm 44. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Because sometimes we feel like we're walking in darkness. Sometimes it feels like there's deep gloom. Sometimes it feels like it's just closing in on us and your word and your Holy Spirit guide us through. And so, Lord, take us on your journey today. Lead us, we pray, in Jesus. Amen. Psalm 44, if I can get it, my pages to stop flipping. Here we go. We've heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face. For you love them. Did you catch that right there? The light of your face. Often in the blessing, may the light of your face shine upon us. It's, it's God's favor, God's blessing, God's love, God's care. It was the light of your face, for you love them. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. And then there's the word Selah there, which means stop, reflect, pause on this. The good old days. The days when everything seemed to be right, when God's face was smiling upon us, when victories would come and there was success, we were faithful to the Lord, and, uh, you know, just all that reminiscing and uh, kind of thinking about all the blessings that God had given. And the psalmist reflects on the history of ancient Israel and God's victories over the enemies and how God fought for them and, and great victories over Pharaoh and his army and the enemy nations around them, how they took possession of the land. 
They had story upon story of God's faithfulness, God's power, God's face shining upon them. And maybe you have stories like that too. How God brought you through an illness or how there was this time in which, uh, you know, God's favor was upon you and, and your family just, you know, flourished and, and you know, the business prospered and, and all went well. And we could focus on those first eight verses and we'd say, what a wonderful psalm. Ah, the good old days. But there's something about the good old days that when we really go back and think about them, eh, there were some tough times in those good old days. It wasn't always just you know, like rosy and sunshine and, and blue skies and, and, and pleasant things. No, there were tough times as well. If God defeated the enemies, that means that you had enemies. That means there, there were threats. That there were difficult times. And sometimes we kind of look back on the old days, the good old days with rose-colored glasses because we see the end result. We see how God came through, how he's blessed. And it kind of just, you know, it, it casts a new light on the difficulties that were back there. And the psalmist reflects on the good old days of Israel and how God came through. But then we move to verses 9 through 22. Verses 9 through 22, all of a sudden there's a huge change in the tone. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors and scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations and the people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. We're going to pause there. It's a huge change in tone. The psalmist reflects upon the good old days and all God's wonders and his mighty victories and what he's done for his people. But now, in our current situation, it's like things are totally reversed. God, you no longer go out with our armies. We no longer gain the victory. We're, we're an object of scorn and, and ridicule. We're, God, this is hard. This is difficult. Have you ever felt that way? Felt defeated? Or perhaps, can I say, abandoned? That, well, maybe God is you know, just kind of forgotten or turned his face away from you. And that's hard to swallow. That's hard to process. That's hard to deal with when the diagnosis is fresh or the ink on the divorce papers still is not dry and the open wounds in the heart are still raw. It's still hard. And there are times in life in which God's people experience these things as well. It, it doesn't take 
a lot of you know, depth into the Scriptures before you realize things are not always rosy. Sky's not always blue. Storm clouds do gather. The wind blows and there's lightning and thunder and, and difficulty and, and hardship. Well, the psalmist moves on because one of our natural reactions, or should I say maybe the reaction of others looking at us in our situation is saying, well, you're getting what you deserve. God is punishing you. I don't know if you know the story of Job and, and you know, wealthy man, things are going well, but then God allowed Satan to take everything away from him, though he had not sinned. He had three friends who, who hung out with him for, for you know, a week, week's time, saying nothing, just, just being with him. But when they started to speak, their reasoning was, God, uh, Job, you must have sinned. You must have done something terribly wrong. And this is why God is punishing you. And, and Job rebels against that. He protests against that. No, I'm innocent. This is not due to some punishment of some evil in my life. And the psalmist goes down that road. All, verse 17, all this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or had spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What happens when we suffer and we know it's not because of punishment? You know, some people beat themselves up. They say, well, I, I must have done something wrong. And, and they get all worked up trying to think of what that might be. Friends, if God is punishing you for some sin, you know what that sin is. No parent punishes a child and doesn't explain why they're getting that punishment. Now, it doesn't mean that you're perfect, right? But in terms of, you know, the, the innocence that, that there's just not this, you know, sin in your life that's dominating your life that you're unrepentant for, you have, that, that you have no interest in, in turning away from, if you've searched your soul and it's just like, no, that's not what's going on here, then you say, well, what is? What is going on? If it's not because of my sin, then what is happening? Why why are these things happening to me? And it causes a crisis, a crisis in our hearts. And our faith, our faith, though built up by, by God's victories and God's goodness and God's care, our faith wavers. Our faith shakes. And that is very normal. If you're caught in one of those moments right now, if you're caught in one of those times in which your faith has been shaken, Psalm 44 is for you to let you know that it's not unusual 
It's not unique. It's not that you're a bad Christian. That your faith is wavering in the midst of these circumstances. Because what it feels like on ground level is that God has left. God is not listening. God has not shown up. The group uh, Casting Crowns have a song called Praise You in the Storm. And it starts out like this. I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped our tears away, stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, and it's still raining. Is it still raining in your life right now? Are there storm clouds still hanging around you? These are difficult times. These are hard times. We pray fervently, but it seems like nothing happens. And our faith wavers as we wonder, God, are you really there? Do you really care? And verse 22 just kind of seems to sum that up. Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Oh, that's hard. It's a hard place to be in. But then the psalmist turns and to our third section, and basically he says, God, wake up and do something. Wake up and do something. Now, I don't know about you, but I usually don't talk to God that way. Right? I mean, that just seems a little bold, a little brash. You know, I was kind of raised to be quiet and, and, you know, just kind of accept what's going on and just like, oh, yes, you know, praise you, Lord. And, and, but, but the psalmist is real here. He's authentic to what he's feeling, what his nation is going through. And so he writes, awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. And the psalm ends. There. A cry for help. A cry for God to wake up and do something. Where we hurt not only in the suffering that we are going through, but we also hurt in that our faith, our trust in God to act on our behalf is being questioned. And we're wondering, will God show up in the midst of this trial? And as time goes on, it wears upon us and it's difficult Think of God's people there in Egypt. We know the story of the Exodus, right? The ten plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, Pharaoh and his army being drowned. But picture yourself as one of those Israelite slaves before all of that happened. Life was not good. It was miserable. You were slaves. And it was hot. It was tiring. It was depression, depressing, discouraging, demeaning. 
And you wondered, God, where are you? And Exodus opens with the cry of God's people ascending to heaven because of their misery in Egypt. Have you been there? Have you cried out to God? Have you just let it, let him know what you're thinking, what you're feeling, the difficulties that you're going through and that it's really hard to hang on. Psalm 44 ends, and we're left there feeling like we're hanging. It, it, it needs resolution. The last word, though, of the last verse I want to call your attention to. Page is blue here again. It says, rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. And that last word is chetid in Hebrew. I don't expect you to memorize that. But it's God's covenant love. It's his faithful love. It's his love that's never ending. His love that is always there despite the circumstances. And the soul of the psalmist is, is calling upon God to remember that chesed love, that faithful love, that covenant love that he made to their ancestors and which still holds true today. God, remember. Remember your chesed. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. And God's people have cried out to God through the centuries, through the ages, in Old Testament times and in New Testament times. And though we may feel like God is silent, yet He has spoken. He has spoken to us through His Word, through the prophets, and in the New Testament, through the sending of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so my final point is, is that when we cry out, God, wake up and do something, God does respond with his steadfast, chesed, love. Isaiah would write in Isaiah 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then he would go on to say, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Who is that child? Who is that son? Who was Isaiah looking ahead to that we know today as Jesus? Jesus. You see, one dark, cold night in Bethlehem, when the people of God were crying out for deliverance because of the oppression of the Romans, God sent an angel and an angel chorus that first appeared to some shepherds and said, I bring you good news of great joy for all hurting people. Today, the Savior is born, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the long-promised, awaited one, the one who is the answer, the fulfillment of all those prophecies, the one who is the extreme, the, the, the prime example of my chesed love to you. 
Jesus was born. Born as a baby. Laid in a manger. But he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And so in this statement of Jesus' birth, God is proclaiming, I am with you. Even in the darkness, even in the pain, even in in the difficult times, I am with you because I have sent my Son to you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. The power of the incarnation that God became one of us and dwelt among us is so encouraging, is so comforting that God didn't abandon us. No, He showed up to be with us. And that baby grew up to be a man, as Isaiah would describe, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. A man who gets it. Not someone who's just immune to all the problems of the world, but the one who embraces all of our difficulties, all of our trials, all of our struggles, all of our hurt, all of our pain. Jesus gets it. He gets it all. And yet, that God, God with us, was led like a lamb to the slaughter. God chose him to go to the cross. And here's the mystery of God's grace. We asked earlier, and Psalm 44 asked earlier, God, is is it because I sinned? Is it because I did anything wrong? And it wasn't because of a specific sin in your life, some major wrongdoing that you did, but it's because sin, capital S, has invaded this world. Sin has marred everything. Paul would write in Romans 8 that the whole creation groans in in that eagerness, waiting for God's redemption, waiting for God's salvation. We all participate in and have been affected by this sin. But God sent His Son Jesus to be sin. For us to take the penalty of sin for us to take not only all of our individual wrongs that we've done but how sin affects us and affects all of creation it puts it all upon Jesus and pays for it all on the cross and so when Jesus stretched out his hands said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that time that God was paying the penalty of sin. And then Jesus declared, it is finished. It is done. And he died. Now the disciples who were there, that that, that what we call Good Friday looked like a bad day, right? Jesus, their Savior, was dead. And then they mourned for him. They they, they took him down from the cross. They put him in a grave and they wondered, what is going on here? God, have you abandoned us? What happened? But the power of the gospel is, is that death does not have the last word. The grave does not have the victory. 
We are not victims, but we are victors through Jesus Christ who rose from the dead on the third day. And in that great salvation moment, God declared the victory over sin, over death, over Satan, over our illness, over our pain, over divorces, over cancer, over whatever it is in our lives that holds us down. God declared the victory. And that's the perspective in the New Testament. That yes, we will have trials. Yes, we will have pain. Yes, that, that way of sin still affects this world until Jesus comes again. But friends, don't give up hope. Though you may have your ups and downs, though you may feel as if God had abandoned you, friends, don't ever forget. He sent His Son. He sent His Son. And so in Jesus Christ... You are never alone. You are never forgotten. You are never abandoned. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and through him we have the victory. And so the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, Christians who are suffering under the hand of the Emperor Claudius and, and opposition and persecution is increasing rapidly, Paul would write to them these words. And I'm reading this from the New Living Translation. Friends, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Jesus Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading, interceding, praying for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. And then Paul quotes Psalm 44. Did you know that? In Romans 8, Paul quotes our psalm for today, Psalm 44. He says, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. And so in quoting Psalm 44, Paul is saying, I get it. I understand. My life has not been easy since Jesus came to me. My life has not been all pleasant and, and you know, roses and a piece of cake. No, far from it. Just the opposite. So like Psalm 44, when we're in the midst of all of that pain and have all of those questions and he's saying, God, where are you? God, wake up. I want to tell you. He's fully awake. He's fully there. And though we may not always feel his presence, we can be assured he is there for us. No, friends, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And here's where Paul leaves the Romans with the truth that he wants them to hold on to. And friends, I want to do the same for you. 
I want you to hold on to this truth. Regardless of what's happening in your life, regardless of what it's feeling like in the moment, I want you to know without a doubt, he says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you convinced? Do you know that beyond the shadow of a doubt, even though you may be walking through those shadows, deep inside, do you remember? It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus. He is there for us. No, please be convinced that God loves you. And that Jesus is there for you. We are not victims, but victors. When there are times in our lives when our suffering is overwhelming, when we feel confused, abandoned, or we wonder why God is not doing anything about it, it's then that we need to look to the cross and remember that Jesus is our deliverer. He is with us, interceding for us, he has conquered death, and nothing can separate us from his love. In just a few moments, we're going to gather around a table. Simple bread. Simple juice. But yet, in these things, God speaks powerful truth to us. This is my body. This is my blood. I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. As you come to the table, as you eat the bread, as you drink the juice, we remember, we believe, we are given deep assurance that God continues to abide with us and in us, regardless of the circumstances in our lives. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, today, we're reminded in Psalm 44 that life is not always easy. That there is darkness, there is pain, there is hurt, there is suffering. Sometimes, Lord, it feels like you've left, you've abandoned us. And with the psalmist, we cry out, God, wake up, help, please do something. Lord, it's in those low times, help us to remember how you were lifted up, how you gave your body, how you shed your blood, how you poured out your love for us on the cross. And give us that assurance that no matter what happens in life, we are not victims, but victors, more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.